An ear hole is an open meatus into the body, through which sonic subjectivities are digested and recomposed. Sound and vibration leak in and out from all orifices, connecting and entangling in the folds of bodies, disturbing those boundaries. You're listening to the Liquid Architecture Podcast. Today, Archie Barry and V. Barrett join Francis Barrett and Debris Facility for a conversation that dissects their performances for Object-Oriented Ontology, a performance program for Meatus at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. Object-Oriented Ontology focuses on fleshy void spaces rather than materialist objects, moving with queer disembodiments, Wormer's method, digestion and intimacy, and a haptic force for the guttural. The performances respond to the conceptual and spatial prompts in Francis Barrett's exhibition, Meatus. The following conversation was recorded on the final Sunday of Meatus, held at the Australian Centre of Contemporary Art. The topics covered in the conversation involve critical forms of embodiment, including pleasure, disassociation, expanded forms of consciousness and panic as modalities for practice. This follows three weeks after Orifice-Oriented Ontologies, a performance program with V and Archie alongside Sage Pepevut and Alison Gibbs. My name is Debris Facility. I'm here this afternoon with Francis Barrett, Archie Barrett, Archie Barry and V Barrett for Liquid Architecture's podcast talking about Orifice Oriental Ontologies, the performance event held at the Australian Centre of Contemporary Art in relation to Francis Barrett's project Meatus and the collection which is on disclaimer, Wormholes, Orifice Oriental Ontologies. Okay, okay, it's like this. Capitalism distributes your senses. And that's, that's why, why it's important to sense differently. Listen to noise, music, sing with other people. I might start firstly by asking the artists Archie and V to introduce the work that you've done for OOO. So my performance for Orifice-Oriented Ontologies was after V's and it is a song. I wrote it, but it also feels more like a compilation because there are phrases and words derived from the thinking and work of different creative practitioners and spiritual practitioners who have influenced my work. So the lyrics to this piece that was performed, which is titled Dilated Mind, have been borrowed from many people's voices, including... Elizabeth Grosh, Jean Fisher, Adi Shankara, Thich Nhat Hanh, Caroline Nawi, thank you, um, Martin, Martin, Martin. Mm. I think that's 
just about everyone who was in there. <laughs> and so I guess from the outset it felt to me like I was singing a chorus on behalf of people who have created my sense of being and relationality um, and give permission to me to be someone who pursues notions of, like, rest and pleasure for the sake of rest and pleasure. So the performance was a recording of me speaking the lyrics combined with singing live in synchrony those words. A important element in developing the work was that I really wanted to approach this idea of what is an orifice-oriented ontology, not with my brain, but with my orifices. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to do that, I decided that it made sense to go to somebody who's a professional. And so developing the work came through working with Mistress Selena Rain, who is a dominatrix who's been working for many years in Nam, and negotiating with her a agreement around conducting a session where she would have sexual intercourse with me and describe that experience as it was happening. From that session, from that encounter, I gleaned phrases that, I guess we're about this experience of opening, like dilation. <laughs> and that also forms part of this soundscape. There, there is nothing, nothing sexier or more frightening, frightening than presented for OOO was called My Body Belongs to the Whole. It was a performance of ictic vocalities. My body was definitely a kind of a fugitive entity in the performance inside the carapace of a mm, strangely shaped black box that was also a worm that had various different kinds of planes. It had a sense of like a Mobius strip or an abyssal space or an absence within the space. There was also a funnel coming off the strangely shaped carapace that was vomiting magnetic tape and some other strange globular shapes. If there is a front of this thing, then 
the front face. So it, I guess it moved through the space a bit like a blind worm. I couldn't see where I was going. I had no concept of how far I was moving or how fast I was moving, you know, or where I was going to end up. The box had its own kind of sound or voice that was a kind of a bit crunchy and then also it was projecting a voice beyond itself and this voice was live mixed by Lauren Abenary and that voice was reciting a script about air, sphincters, secrecy, wind, abyssal voices, dissolution and linguistics, a kind of um, annihilated linguistics that was birthing kind of phonemic monsters. That's, <laughs> that's a fairly complete description of the performance. I feel like I was there <laughs> just now with your description. That was very articulate. <laughs> Professor Challenger departed, crab-wise, through the clock drum, through the sphincter, for his poisoned garden. This sets up a vibration that never ends, never ends, never ends. I like that you're pointing to taking seriously or taking almost literally this notion of an orifice or oriented ontology, which I think is really strong in all of the kind of works presented. I was really happy with the way that it felt not just like a conceptual dressing or as a title, that it actually was a kind of like real grappling with the the mode of like a body and how it opens up into the world through creative practice as a way to attune listening as one kind of way that the body is open to the outside world, but also, you know, um, putting almost this yeah, haptic or synesthetic kind of like modality of how the body is a part of the world is kind mm. of like it takes and receives lots of different kind of like materials, information, sensations, mm. which I think that was one of the strongest links to Meatus. They were the strands that I really wanted to draw out from that experience of, yeah, like sound as a haptic and the physical, yeah, sexual experience maybe of sound too. Could you speak a little bit about that element of Meatus? To kind of give a context, I guess, you know, I've been working and thinking about sort of listening practices for a little while and, and Meatus emerged out of reading of the structure of the ear and came across the external acoustic Meatus. And I started to focus on that word Meatus and understood that as a passage that leads into the body and that exists in the ears and nasal passages and urethra. So then meatus for me became a way to think of a decentered listening experience, so not just located in the ear, mm. but could be extended across the body and inclusive of other sensations and, mm. and other mm. kind of conscious or unconscious intensities. Mm. So very much sort of like affective listening. And so I guess for me to think about 
yeah, ictic vocalities, mm. these kind of surges of the body that are then funneled through the mouth or funneled through the sort of vocal cords. And then also to think of very much Archie like a specific location of the body as a site of learning and a site of connection with others, mm. of relationality. Mm-hmm. Um, so these two works really did, I think, speak to the very core ideas that, you know, myself and also the collaborators, particularly Brian and Haley, were exploring in our works. Mm. And so with Worm Divination, which was the sound composition that was in Gallery One, I collaborated with Brian Fawata and Haley Ford to create this vocal composition that was then sort of architecturally built by Felix Abrahams, who's an audio engineer, and that work was really looking at the voice as being like, you know, what you were saying, debris, a haptic force, something that is an extension of the body and that reaches out to sort of touch a listener. And also the idea of the voice as being, I guess, maybe a queer body, a a destabilising force, something that is, I mean, for us it was a constantly sort of shifting power dynamic or something. The voice is always this kind of slippery material and sound being a slippery material as well is something that we were looking at. Mm. Mm. And I guess that that piece really emerged out of improvised performances that Brian would perform in the studio as Haley was modulating his voice and it was structured around a series of about five or six small pieces of script that Brian and I had developed over a period of time. So we really used, I guess, kind of like Archie, you know, specific sort of moments of script or extracted texts that then was performatively kind of explored. Mm. I think there's that really interesting flow through throughout all of this is like, you know, like the voice is often considered like the centre of like a singular identity. But I think like your kind of collaborative practice or writing with Haley and Brian and Archie's is kind of here like editing to this accumulation of lots of other people's voices kind of speaking through or informing what your voice or kind of like body can constitute and the the kind of like way that yeah like experiences outside of a contained singular self can kind of like come through the voice through writing and yeah through your own kind of like collaborative practices with who you're kind of working with. Mm. Yeah um, I mean I guess there's a few different aspects to that there's Uh, this collaboration making with, writing with, listening with, reading with others and those others are like a a multiplicity of, you know, entities, people like Lauren Abneri who live mixed my voice on the night and then also Yu Debris who I was having lots of conversations with in the lead-up to OOO, also had lots of conversations with you, Francis, and then also, as I've talked about in the past, like a range of kind of affective atmospheres, which might include the temperature, the kind of quality of light, whether I'm cold or hot, whether I'm anxious or feeling calm. If I stepped on a rock on my way into, if I fell over, if I, you know, like this range of kind of sensorial connections to as part of the flesh of the world. Mm. And then there's also this kind of multiplicity of voices which emerges or vocalities which emerges from 
this constituted entity called V and that is I am always beside myself or we are beside ourselves and this is emerging out of my research around panic as a affective force which creates a diasporic body, if you like, so this kind of dissolved and subjectively evacuated body existing in many places all at once throughout time and without any integrity. So there is no integral body and it doesn't exist within chronos or clock time. So it's very kind of a distributed self. So all of those voices also. Does this relate to the ictic? Yeah, so the ictic, again, was arising out of my kind of research on panic where I was trying to come to grips with how to communicate panic to others and how panic is communicated through vocalic kind of technologies, if you like. Mm -hmm. And ictic comes from etymologically derived from the term ictus, which has both a medical and a prosodic meaning. So medically it's kind of referring to a seizure or like mm. a blow being seized or being hit or and prosodically it's about meter. My experience of a panic attack is often about being seized out of the blue and the kind of prosody or the panic prosody is ictic in that it's like a series of blows or forces that kind of creates a stuttering of language. Yeah, there's kind of like pulse also maybe. Mm. There's kind of like clench, unclench, Definitely. which maybe kind of um, yes. I think is present, yeah, very much in your performance, Archie. I mean, it feels like you're also like this dilated mind is also like a loosening or, you know, allowing others to declench. When I was devising the work originally, my first idea was I would love to give instructions for this idea of singing through your digestive tract, through your anus up into your mouth. I mean, one of the lyrics in Dilated Mind is allow a room into your body, reverse fart through the tubes and the tracts be played by the atmosphere, the urban planning of the air. Mm. And I think I was like, oh, I'm not really learning anything by writing and, like, delivering instructions Mm -hmm. only. And then that brought me to, okay, how do I literally allow myself to be opened by someone else? And, like, where does that take What is that? (laughs) So I think I wanted to say, because it's a 10-minute piece, which is, it has a lot of pauses, but there are a lot of words that I spent a lot of time listening to the spoken word recording, which I sing along with, like every day for a Mm -hmm. few months listening and listening in all kinds of situations headphones or with a speaker in public and in private space and that I would hear different things, like the the ideas sounded differently to me Mm. 
and that it was like a process of returning like again and again to the words of people who have inspired me like mm. in different ways and then I think I also wanted to say that there was something important about like the dynamic of that evening like being inside Meatus mm. at Acker yeah. the presence of the audience and their attention like coming back to what you were just saying before V about like the relationships that you have with what food is in your gut mm. what you are digesting and how does that like mm. become the performance mm. or just become you and then I feel like that's a real like interface of like the audience perceiving I think that space itself was incredible you know like architecturally speaking and being inside the red light you could not not be affected by that uh, you know you're inside a glistening red pulsating tube you know like moving from one end to the mm. other of that room was like being shifted along by peristaltic motion you know and the sounds itself coming out of the multiple speakers you know like this is even before you performed, you know, just kind of like the echoes of that were very resonant of Meatus itself. And yeah. so you're existing in this kind of oceanic, vibratory kind of space, you know, as you were performing. And it just really kind of moved you along. Obviously, you're not often as an audience in a space like that. You're not often sitting in this extremely red wash, yeah. you know, so... I think for everyone, you know, it was like incredibly visceral. I guess often like performance spaces are like blank slates. You know, this is not a blank slate, not by any stretch. And that was yeah. what was so amazing about it, you know, that we became meatus and meatus became us as opposed to like mm. performing in a, you know, mm. a black box or a white box or, you know, mm. like pretending there's some kind of, division between you and the audience you know like mm. it's this like fourth wall shit you know i like what you're saying about peristaltic movement throughout you know like worm divinations or you know um archie what you're saying about this re-remembering this song or i mean yeah some of my work within the atus was also about earworms this idea mm. of a kind of you know like something some sonic kind of hook which like catches or you know it just like burrows into you it's not necessarily in your brain or your body I mean it's just kind of like in you and digesting and redigesting itself unpossessed forever and ever 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 whatever is inscribed can be re-inscribed differently enable some madness systematic we're, we're all learning how to get, get through the isolation of emotional pain don't lie to yourself don't lie to yourself don't lie to yourself don't lie to yourself lie down by yourself lie down by yourself lie down by yourself maybe just unpack a little bit more of your process in terms of developing the work or how you kind of like yeah there are all these different strands which have kind of like come into it and then what was your process of working with them? I guess it began by I had all of these passages of text from different 
writers and thinkers already compiled in this document, which is sort of just like an abbreviated library of how Archie thinks. (laughs) (laughs) And that's like in the past, that document had a functional use of being able to give that to like a writer who would like to write about uh, recent work that I made. But then I was like, oh, this is more precious than simply a bunch of references for someone else. Because this is some of the work that you've done for the Disclaimer Collection. It's kind of like unpacking the context, like, you know, like using the footnotes. Yeah, for Disclaimer, the script of Dilated Mind that constitutes the performance is given as a body of text with minimal punctuation. So it sort of reads like a poem or people can approach it and maybe be a little bit disarmed by the lack of punctuation and sort of find different rhythms that might be in there or might be imposed and sections of the text which are either direct quotes or have are my own textual distillation of someone's idea have been footnoted with a description of this is where this has come from and this is why I care about it. <laughs> yeah. Which I feel echoes in some way, Francis, in the opening weekend of Miedas, you did this performance called Curator's Talk. Do you see resonances there or can you explain kind of um, Curator's Talk a little bit? Yeah, so Curator's Talk was, you know, for a long time I've been thinking about the role of the curator and I was thinking about the curator's voice and how it tries to synthesise projects or artists' practices in a very clear narrative, in a digestible, Mm -hmm. coherent, singular Mm -hmm. kind of narrative. And so through my PhD and through Miatus, I was trying to sort of develop a way for which I worked and came to this kind of idea of the artist come curator. And so curator's talk is trying to kind of explicate what an artist come curator is and to try and stabilise, I guess, this authorial figure of the curator's voice Mm. Um, because I think sometimes the curator will speak on behalf of the institution and therefore carry an institutional voice through it. So it's almost like ventriloquism in a way or something. Mm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So curator's talk was like similar to Archie was trying to kind of gather all the various influences or ideas or kind of thoughts that was informing Yadis and to put them into a text that I structured like a wormhole. So the text itself, which is published in a little book designed by Ella Sutherland, there's no punctuation, no paragraphs, nothing. It's just a thick passage. And passages like Miatus passages run through this whole project. So the text itself is just this long passage with this kind of compost of ideas that don't answer, that doesn't try and explicate what this project is. Instead, it tries to create a density and multiple openings or multiple kind of, at times, conflictual ideas. And so I performed at the beginning on the opening weekend this curator's talk and then that was sort of overlaid by Brian Fawada's improvisation as one of divination. So curator's talk, I guess, is trying to think about, well, let's not think about a coherency. Let's not try and think about Mm. an answer, Mm. 
but rather open out possibilities and propositions and try and create a multiplicity of, of what's happening. Mm. And I think it did that so astutely. It does create like a such a dense affective texture to kind of like enter into the work. And I feel like is there a notion of kind of like poetic opacity or, you know, kind of as a tactic of kind of it's not quite queer evasion, but it's also kind of like I think it is a kind of like an aesthetic overload or generosity yes. in terms of the illogical non-linear yeah, multiplicity that you're kind of talking to, which was something that I wanted for my own involvement in OOO or, you know, these artists to kind of like articulate. And even what you did with Disclaimer and, and with OOO, for me it was like that is for me opening up further ideas of what meatus or the space or these sounds could possibly be. Like it was maybe considering it as a performative platform, you know, for people to kind of enter parasitically or worm-like or whatever it might be. The mouth forms an O. The face contorts in horror and panic. In disgust. The sound of the whole is a... I wonder, V, what you think of the passage, because you've just recently completed your PhD in mm. literature too. So I feel like you've got like a really specific <laughs> skin in this game that, I mean, yeah, maybe we've got other kinds of training or, you know, attention. Mm. So, yeah, how do you feel that your relationship to language is kind of articulated through these works? Yeah, um... It started off as a creative writing PhD and then ended up as a performance slash creative writing-ish PhD. It became pretty clear to me fairly early on that linguistics was a really important element of my research, that somehow the kernel of my panic was contained in and exploded by... And it also that panic exploded the kind of symbolic order and created its own kind of non-semantic system. I was looking at people like Mladen Dollar and Jean-Luc Nancy and Barthes and Jean-Jacques Lecoeckel uh, and Christophe Migoni, who I just love. And I suppose you really kind of settled into this thing that Jean-Jacques Kirkel articulates around the remainder or the ragbag. And it's kind of like where, you know, the scraps of language end up and where you upreap the poetic from. This is where the poetic mm. comes from. And, mm. and in this kind of ragbag or in the remainder, this is where syntagmatic monsters are birthed. So words are out of order, phonemes become inarticulacies and in the breaking down of the symbolic order, so there are some phrases that I repeat quite a lot, things like say a body. Uh, Say a body with the mouth? What do you mean? What do you mean by that? How can you say a body with the mouth? You know, like... Can you speak the world into existence? Can you, you know, like, can you unspeak? If you unspeak, is that the end of the world? Also, I suppose, 
jail Austin and the speech act and so on mm. and you know the Deleuzean idea of the order word the word orders the world so if you disorder the word then you disorder the world mm. and panic in its kind of ictic vocality kind of performativity as it kind of like mm. you know the words dissolve in the throat and kind of you know like excrementally kind of vomit out through the mouth in some big fucking hot mess you know this is a way also to see the world differently I think a lot about this idea of the world as it is and the world as it seems and you know through panic I feel like I get a different kind of sight that I see the world as it really is I know that we are in end stage capitalism but I don't really truly know that unless I'm in the grip of panic or something then mm. I'm like I'm very 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 aware of you know being part of um, you know the machines of production or that I'm you know part of this kind of malevolent machination you know of a capitalist desire or something and that once you've seen that also you can really not unsee it so you live with that as this kind of cloak. And your work for Disclaimer kind of like reformats the kind of performance text. The animacy of the written text becomes really legible in that, yeah, I mean, these words fall down. Yeah. You know, they shimmer. Yes. They shimmer body agitating yes. and then they like pile up. Like the words become compost too. To That's like, right. Um, and so, you know, you can pick out words and so you can also like a read a variety of texts through those kind of falling words and they become kind of illegible also once they're kind of sitting in those piles. So I would love to animate those further. The flush of a cheek, the skip of a heart, all the small and large sphincters move in perfect relation to one another. The dance of matter is elegant. We only notice the machine if it rattles, it not rattles. if it hums. Attention creates insecurity and doubt. The idea of compost also, I think, was integral to Miedas for you, Francis, and that mm. kind of yeah. how you approach this. I think, I mean, first and foremost, it sort of came from this idea of compost that was proposed by Karen Christoph Barkikiev. And she says that compost materials and processes that remain in the state of the propositional. So compost are always sort of materials that are always in tumult or in becoming or, or in process. So I felt like that was, for me, a way of speaking to collaborative modes mm. as well in that with collaboration, you never know what is going to be the outcome, but also when you're interested in relational practices, there's not a finite end often to those things that they sort of continue and they kind of are an ongoing thing. You know, the way in which I think of collaboration is also sort of an ongoing friendship or ongoing kind of working relationship to each other. And then for me, compost then this idea of these materials and sort of a process, this idea of collaboration sort of, Brian and Haley and I started to think of our collaboration as a worm, as the modality of the worm. So the worm eats materials and then through its digestion of these materials, 
casts them, so sort of excretes and creates new, really rich, fertile matter. Mm. So the worm is this thing that composts and churns and turns through materials became a way for us to think about the way in which we collaborate and work with each other and rework each other's material, rework each other's kind of propositions to each other, which I see as well like with your work with the mistress too. It's like this experience, you know, and and recording that and someone narrating this experience for me I think speaks to I mean, would would you call that collaboration? How would you see that as working together? Mm. Well, I mean, Selena came to the performance of Dilated Mind at ACA and, I mean, it was a transaction. It's a transactional mm. kind of work. Yeah. And the way that she phrased it was like, you've seen me perform and now I've seen you perform. So to me, collaboration implies like a sustained relationship that continues to fold in on itself and reinform itself and in this context of working with Selena it was more of like these are the terms and agreements this is what will happen Mm. and this is the outcome and to me it was important to make that very clear and written and signed off on yes and part of that in my eyes is about just respecting the work of sex workers fundamentally Mm. so I wouldn't call it a collaboration. I'd call it an agreement in working together. Yeah. But with that performance, there were other elements to it that maybe did some of the composting work in me. (laughs) Or I would hope allow that to be felt by people who witnessed it. A sphincter Sphincter is a ring of muscles that regulates the passage of fluids. When When singing, singing, sphincters regulate metaphysical substances. Elation, peace, rage, grief. To sing, open each hole from the bottom up. Fia had a question for you. (laughs) Because I think Archie is about opening Mm. right and dilation. But both your work with OOO, as well as your recent work, Exosmosis, was around how you describe a carapace or sort Mm. of a a pod Mm. or an enclosure. Mm. Um, Could you talk about the, I guess, Mm. use of these kind of ways to occlude or or, or cover the body Mm. or to house the body while Mm. you return to these kind of shell-like structures? I'm kind of clear about why I use those structures in both situations but I think there are similarities but definitely some differences I'm not quite sure why I think I need to occlude the body in order for to deflect attention from you know this from apprehending visually a body and then attaching some kind of preconceived notion that like the voice is is emanating from this kind of fixed thing that is a body. I don't think that that's the case. I think that the voice comes from somewhere else and goes somewhere else and then perhaps creates 
distant bodies and different kinds of constituted bodies through that kind of articulation. And But, yes, that kind of occlusion, I want to, you know, deflect away from the idea that, that the panicked vocalities or, you know, that these kind of uh, disintegrated linguistics, you know, emanate from this thing that we call this fixed thing that we call a body. There is no such thing as a fixed body. We are all becoming, we are all in excess of our skins. Our skin is porous. It has a gazillion holes in it. You know, we are always in excess. We apprehend what is a density of molecules with these poor tools, you know, ocular tools. If we had a different set of ocular tools, maybe we wouldn't really see bodies. We'd see, you know, like molecular structures, some that are more dense than others, but you could pass through them. You know, you could run a stick through, you know, a a density of molecules or something like that. So that's one reason. The OOO carapace was very much an abyss, so that was a portal beyond the body, a metaphysical portal. And the chrysalis in osmosis was the container for the dissolution of integrity and the space for transformation. The anxious throat closes around voicing. The glottic sphincter stutters. The laryngeal folds flutter, flick the quiver. Language shudders from head to toe. Words gather at my neck, gather at my neck, gather at my neck, piling up in a bottleneck. My word crop becomes engorged. The phonemes macerate. An order word piling after another order word, piling into chaos, stopped by the impossibility of speaking the becoming. I want to say, which I've already shared with you after experiencing Curator's Talk at the mouth hole at the beginning of Meatus, which was, um, I think, like what I learned from Meatus was like a kind of embodied experience of being with people within this institution turned body, turned tracked, and I found myself crying, like just being witness to live performance and being witness Mm. to a large room full of people and how we have not been able to do that for such a long time Mm. and how what it brought me to reflect upon was every person's relationship to living inside meat, like Mm. individual meat stories and Mm. all of the baggage of existing in a body and the sort of psychological affective power of the performances of that mm. opening performance event. And, it, yeah, it seems to me like it really was like an opening. It wasn't, it didn't close off then. I learnt something emotional, not intellectual. Mm. And that, I think that continues to change and grow. Mm. Thank you. It's so beautiful. I think that's, that phrase meat stories as well really stuck with me (laughs) because I think that a lot of responses that I have received from people are how it felt you know like Mm. it's not so much that people want to talk to me about okay what is meatus as a concept yeah it's more about them physically responding and wanting to talk about 
how they unconsciously or whatever reacted to that space and being being with people mm-hmm. in that space. Mm-hmm. Thanks for hosting us here, Francis and Archie and V, for your generous contributions this afternoon and throughout all this period. And to you, the listeners out there through some digital infrastructure. An object-oriented ontology digital collection has been published on Liquid Architecture's online journal Disclaimer, with works from the performing artists Sage Pupiter, Alison Gibbs, Archie Barry, and V. Barrett, alongside Anne Renick, Ivan Cheng, Jared Davis, and Francis Barrett. Find the link in our show notes. This podcast was produced by Mara Schretfeger for Liquid Architecture, on the land of the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognise that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. You can support our podcast and online journal Disclaimer through a Patreon subscription for as little as $5 a month. Find the link in our show notes.